Welcome back, Seahawks Nest fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast Super Bowl Week Edition. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined by the Shawn Michaels to my Triple H. That's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, just sitting over here listening to a little sweet little gym music over here. All right, and our very own X-Pac. <laughs> that is Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir. What, you want, me, you want me China? Road Dog? I don't know. Mr. Maybe. Ass? <laughs> you don't have good choices here, sir. If we can go wrestling for a second. We can go rap. Okay, we'll go OG. You can I'm... be ravishing Rick Rude. And oh, you can wear the suit. You. you can wear the suit and hold the hold the briefcase. You know how much Wait, I love Rick Rude. Does that mean Rick I can Rude. be Mr. Perfect? No, he, I, he's not actually in Miss Degeneration X like Rick Rude was. Remember yeah, but, when, he, uh, but he's the one who brought Triple H on board. Oh, Remember okay. when Nathan told me that the one two three kid was X Pac, and I was like, "What? <laughs> oh, he looks like shit." <laughs> anyway, sorry. He bulked yeah. up in a bad way. Yeah, he's not. It's not great. And uh, you, Eric, you're nothing like X Pac. You are large and you are large and buff and not tiny and drugged out. And so, yeah, I don't do coke. <laughs> yeah, you're like Bart Gun. <laughs> oh jeez! All, right, all, right. all right, we're taking this way too far. So we are back uh, this week, and we're gonna go over first just some some uh, Seahawks and NFL news. So let's start with a little little and a couple NFL news stories as we are want to do in the off season. Chiefs breaking news: Chiefs trade Alex Smith to the Washington VC football team. K- Kirk Cousins is free. He's not going to our biggest rival. Thank goodness. I'm so glad he's not going to be wearing a 49ers uniform because as good as I think Jimmy Garoppolo is, there's he's not as good as Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is like a borderline top five guy in my mind. I'm right sorry. Now. You're already putting uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in the Hall Breaking of Fame. Breaking news. So. No. I, I like You Jimmy clearly Garoppolo. don't think any quarterback's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. That's not true. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not one of those people. So <laughs> uh, I'm really I'm really happy that Cousins isn't, isn't going to be in our division. Like that makes me happy. And it's going to be exciting to see where he lands because – in a good situation. Arizona. I was going to say. Oh, no. It's possible, if, bro. If he goes to Arizona. Arizona doesn't have the cap room to <laughs> get the, Kirk that'd Cousins. That'd be the dumbest. That'd be so bad. They'd have to, like, sacrifice guys to get Kirk Cousins and stuff. It would be awful. No, Kirk Cousins is really smart. He's going to find a team that has a good offensive line in place and that really just needs a quarterback, and that's where he's going oh, to be. I think he's, he's going to make himself the final piece. He's going to end up on the Broncos, I think. And the, the Broncos need, like, him and one offensive lineman, and they're done. It's like a finished, yeah. it's like a finished team other than that. I feel get that's him, the draft only guy. Nelson and they're just like set. It's the only guy they really need to bring that team together. And the only place that I think Cousins would enjoy going to. Now, the rumors about that is Denver's thinking about turning over their wide receivers too, which is just ridiculous to me. And I, I for one, would welcome Demarius Thomas into the Seahawks fold with the widest of open arms. Everyone gets excited. They say, this is Ooh, the dawning one, of the age the, of Demarius. The one, the, one, uh, the one thing a lot of people said is like, oh, we would want Emmanuel Sanders. And I agree. Emmanuel Sanders is very good. But do not underestimate Demarius Thomas, who has like an absurd catch radius. Has, yeah, I must say his catch radius is earth. And it's is is literally just fantastic and fun to watch. I love Demarius Thomas. And uh, in a t- on a team that could get him the ball accurately, which think about the quarterbacks he's played with in his career. He had like broken down Peyton Manning. He had Tim Tebow. And then he's had like the poo-poo platter deluxe the last four years. Uh, I, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm super into the idea of Demarius Thomas with a real quarterback. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, okay. Uh, then, so that's Alex Smith is on the, is on the Washington DC football team. Uh, does this make Washington DC good? Like they'll have another extra ten, fifteen million dollars to play around with in the cap this off season. Uh, is, can they can they survive with Alex Smith at quarterback? Uh, Nate, does uh, does Dan Snyder still own Washington? I hate to say it, but yes, he does. Then then no, they're not good. And I don't understand this move. I mean, Kevin, I guess who are the uh, who are the Washington football team circling as their quarterback of the future? 
Uh, considering that they have a really middling pick, it'd have to be someone like, I don't know, Mason Rudolph or hope like Josh Allen falls. I'm not really sure. I, I don't know what they're thinking here. I'm not really sure. Seems odd to me. Uh, crawling inside Dan Snyder's mind seems like a bad idea, so I just try and avoid that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Colts hire uh, Josh McDaniels as head coach. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Great move. Yeah, I agree. Wow, I didn't hear this. That's don't, pretty cool. Don't well, they're not gonna. They, it's not official yet because he's still coaching, yeah. so they can't make it official yet. But the, every indication is that he's gonna go to the Colts, which seems awesome. It seems like a great landing spot for him. He has a quarterback already. The team is like decent, but not great, and he'll have control over personnel decisions. They, he's gonna have enough of a leash there because they have a ways to climb that it's not gonna be high expectations immediately. And it'll be a second go round as a coach and. And he they got always screwed seem to be better. Yeah, he got hosed in Denver, man. Yes. That that whole Tebow thing was it's stupid. All right, uh, we got one more uh, NFL level story. The XFL will return in 2020. Could not be happier. <laughs> let's uh, let's work on some better helmets this time, Mister McMahon. Yeah, and I'd, also let's not go nicknames on the back of the jersey. They, that was dumb. So there, it actually seems like it's um, it's I don't I don't know. It seems like the the a reaction to like things that people on Facebook are unhappy with about the NFL, you know, like everyone has to stand in the XFL for the national anthem and like, uh, just stupid stuff. Like, like stuff I just don't care about. I don't know. It, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not for or against it. Uh, he also said the, the NFL game is too long, so we want it to be shorter, which I don't really get either. I understand there's a lot of downtime in an NFL game, but whatever. It's all to it's make the, the league money and if Vince McMahon and the XFL don't want to make money, they're lying. If they can put together, like, you know, take spread concepts from college and guys who can't quite make it in the NFL and have a way to showcase that talent and it'll be kind of like that barn burning style the Arena League used to have, that could be fun to watch during the offseason. Right, so, a I'm fine of, with that. Uh, oh, No West Coast teams either. By the way, I found a good tweet just now while I was, like, clicking through articles to talk about, and I was, like, just looking at other articles on the same page. Check said that if the Jaguars can get Kirk Cousins, they'll just cut Blake Bortles, which yeah. is which is my dream uh, because that would make the Jaguars like the best team in the FC. That'd uh, be a me. That'd be that immediately make them extremely good. But speaking of quarterbacks, my last NFL story here. Eight years ago, Mel Kiper said he'd retire in 2018 if Jimmy Clausen was a, a successful quarterback. So start your letter writing campaigns because Mel Kiper Jr. sucks. All right. <laughs> any, any any other comments about that? Right. Uh, Jaguars will have new uniforms next year. Let's Move talk, on. Let's talk Seahawks news, and we'll start with the light end of the Seahawks news cycle. The Seahawks played in the Pro Bowl, lots of them. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bennett, Russell Wilson. Uh, Ru- uh, Russell Wilson actually had a, quite a showing at Kevin's favorite part, the skills competition. That's right. Competition. We're all the real part of it. He he opened up with a uh, atrocious, uh, terabad performance in the first part of the uh, of the skills competition. Uh, and wasn't then, a kicker one of the last two people, or it was a punter? Was one of the last two people in for a dodgeball? Correct. That tells you everything you know about the dodgeball. I don't think anyone took it too seriously. But then, but then he finished it off with him and Michael Thomas put on a show in the in the throws part of the at the very end. Yeah, uh, pretty much the reverse of what Alex Smith and Keenan Allen did, which was like an all time terrible <laughs> version of what Michael Thomas and uh, Russell Wilson did. So, what do you when you watch that? Okay, and I watched that, and I just all I could think about was. Man, if the Seahawks had a wide receiver like Michael Thomas, how absurd would Russell Wilson be? And I don't know. Like there, there was like it was it was insane how in sync they were, how good they were, uh, and they barely even played barely even played together. You know, it's not like they'd been practicing together a whole over more than a couple times. That's quite amazing what happens when Russell Wilson has protection. Yeah, I guess there's no pass. <laughs> rush. No pass. He rush, wasn't. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't running for his life. 
Uh, so my thought on that is that Michael Thomas does not have a significantly different body type or style than Doug Baldwin. So I'm not surprised that they were able to sync themselves well because also as a short drop passer, who's Russell Wilson's really good comp? Drew Brees. I think you're looking at a quarterback with a similar I mean, skill set and a receiver with a similar skill set. Yeah, except for like and Michael call, Thomas Kevin. is like five inches and 40 pounds bigger than Doug Baldwin. But other than that, I, but he runs tight routes. He's yeah. a good hands receiver. Yeah, he's he's he, a, he's like Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin was six foot. Four. Yeah, he's like he's Doug Baldwin <laughs> in Terrell Owens' body. I agree. I, Michael which Thomas is, is insane. Is absurd. But like, I love Doug. Doug deserved deserved to go to the Pro Bowl this year, and he's great. But man, Michael. Adding Michael Thomas to Doug Baldwin would be like, no, we'd be unstoppable or not. I don't know. Sometimes I just get thinking about stuff like that, like what could happen at wide receiver. And we'll get to that, I guess, in a in a minute. Yeah, we'll be talking about that soon. But in there's a hot a, minute. There was another piece of Seahawks news that came across the wire. And this is the heavy. Uh, the heavy. This is the heavy stuff. Well, okay, there's, let's go light and then light, medium light. Okay, uh, Tyler Lockett posted like a cryptic Instagram about with a picture of him and Paul Richardson talking about like a contract or to making it seem like. Like uh, P. Rich got re- P. Rich got resigned. Uh, if the price is right, P. Rich, uh, that's a great signing. I'm super into it. Uh, what's the number where you start to go? Eh. I want to know. Like, where's the where's the line for you? Where's the line where you go? Like, eh, I'm not so sure that was such a good idea. I don't want to go over six and a half. I like six. If it's three and eighteen, three and fifteen, three and sixteen, somewhere in there, I'm feeling good. It's funny you say that. Six was also the number I had in mind. Five and a half is like, five and a half is what I want. Five, five and a half. Yeah, if it's six, three and 15, six I'm is, ecstatic. Six is where I'm starting to be like, mm, not sure if this was a good idea because this guy has missed two full seasons. There's still question marks there. Eric, what's your number? Uh, my When Kevin said six and a half, I was like, seven is my anger point. So, yeah, we're all about the same page. All right. So there's there's us on, uh, on uh, Paul Richardson. And if you look, three-year deals around that amount that's uh that's a john schneider special and that's still enough money to go get paid if you really want to at the end of that deal all right there's one more there is one more uh bring it sorry there's one more free agent that uh or sorry free agent holdout there's one more contract issue that the seahawks seem to be running into and that's the rumor going around that earl thomas will not come back next year without a new deal so what is it they uh, say about seattle we won't negotiate with two years left he has one year left. I think that we're going to negotiate and probably put together something that ends up being an extension, which is what the team has done in the past with players in this situation. Okay, and that's um, then I'm going to bring that up. That's my thing, is that philosophically we screwed up because we have shown that this is how you get money from the Seahawks. You wait till you have one year left in your deal, then you can tear up your old deal and get a new deal. We've done it over and over and over again. I think it's fair, though, and it's what a lot of teams do unspoken. We spoke about it, and it's fine. Here's my beef, and it's with my favorite player, Earl Thomas. You broke your leg. That sucked. You got really emotional. You said, I might retire. You decided not to do that. You come back this year. Earl Thomas has a great year this year, a very good year. Uh, We win against Dallas. Didn't matter. We didn't make the playoffs. But he's so excited for the victory, he goes and tracks down Jason Garrett and says, hey, if you got a chance, come get me. I got a problem with you demanding a contract and doing that shit. That pisses me off. If he wants to hold out, I get it. But with that Dallas news before that, like, you know, what, a month before? I got to be honest. Like, that's my favorite player. That really rubbed me the wrong way. Another thing, too, is people are saying Chris Richard's the co- the cornerback's the coach in Dallas now. Like, maybe he wants to reunite or secondary coach with 
in Dallas now. Exactly. And it's just, it's fuel to the fire. It's something we don't need. And I know that Earl speaks from his heart 110% of the time. But with this holdout, you know, just the blurb he said at the Pro Bowl that he might hold out mixed with the Dallas news. It's like one or the other, but not both. Both really like just head to head really piss me off. I agree. It's a it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, here's my thing. Okay, you're, you're ready for the Earl Thomas is a, is a sublime talent, a fully unique NFL player that cannot be replaced in any significant way. But the offense without Earl Tom or the defense without Earl Thomas was a lot better than the defense without Bobby Wagner. And if we're, if Earl Thomas is going to say, "Hey, I need 15 million dollars to come back next year because Tyron Matthew makes 14.1 million dollars," then I'm not into it. I'm not into it. There's a line for me, and. Earl Thomas is like twelve. The cap hit for Earl next year is ten point four. It I, and I don't think we can afford to go much higher than that. You know, we need to be paying him eleven, eleven and a half, twelve, which keeps him as the the third most paid, best paid player, uh, position player. So, yeah, I'm I get what he's doing. He wants a guaranteed money and a three year extension or whatever, and that's fine. He likely deserves it. I don't want to blow the bank open though, trying to to make this happen uh if it's an extension without a significant raise i have zero problems yeah if it's a significant if a, if it's an extension with a little bump then i'm still fine but yeah if he wants to go up to 15 there's a reason why arizona's had to get rid of most of their best defensive players and honey badger's contract is a big part of that and earl should know it and Teron matthew's good but he's not healthy all the time uh he's not healthy most of the time and that's a bad contract. Yeah, and I don't, and I, and I don't want to. I'm not going to ding Earl Thomas for the injuries. He's played eight seasons and missed eight games. That guy is an, yes. he's a warrior. He, he's going to be on the field most of the time. I'm not dinging him for injuries. He's not even getting old. No, I. So so that's my thing is that I'm not is people. Twenty seven. Don't get that. He's twenty eight. Yeah. Three or four years extension is a good amount for him. Get him back around eleven or twelve million dollars. We are good to go on Earl. Uh, I totally get what he's doing. I hate the precedent we set though now, where we can't just have guys play out their contracts. We now we have to give everyone. Yeah, a but deal Nathan, when does like. that usually happen in the NFL? It doesn't usually happen because of the injuries, right? Right. So yeah, I understand. It's it is what it is. We this it's a bad season for it too because our cap is so screwed up already. Yeah, we're tight in a weird spot, especially with being stuck in suspension limbo mode, like we talked about with Cam and uh, Cliff Averill. Yeah. All right. So now. We, since we're talking about contracts, we can move to the next subject, which is this year, this week's positional group breakdown. The Seahawks this year, uh, we're going to be talking about their wide receivers and uh, tight ends. Sorry, I accidentally closed the tab. I Think about pass catchers. Uh, so we're going to talk about their their guys for next year. So this is the guys that we currently have on the roster for next year at these two positions. Kevin, you want to start with wide receivers or tight ends? Let's go with wide receivers. Okay, first. we'll start with wide receivers next year under contract. Doug Baldwin. Uh, we've got Tyler Lockett making like $1 million. Amara Darbo, uh, Cyril Grayson, David Moore. Uh, Tanner McAvoy too, right? Um, I don't think so. I think Tanner McAvoy might be an RFA. Oh, no. He's listed as a safety on this for some reason. Okay. <laughs> Tanner, Tanner <laughs> McAvoy also. That's for speedy receiver. Uh, so those are guys that are under contract for 2018. Uh, so that would mean right now P. Rich is the main guy who's not here for that. On That'd be the, the only roster, significant attrition that that would be lost for next year. Uh, so, wide receiver, is this a position the Seahawks even need to improve, or is this one where we can kind of throw a draft pick at it and walk away, or just try to re-sign P. Rich? What do you guys think? Uh, personal opinion, I think bringing back P. Rich uh, will result in net improvement. Paul Richardson is on an upward trajectory. 
and Tyler Lockett, another year recovered from a significant leg injury, when we started seeing towards the end of the season he was getting his legs back under him, would be a better receiver core. I don't want to waste uh, – I shouldn't say waste. I don't want to spend a draft pick on a receiver uh, that would be be an important pick, like the you know, top first three rounds. We have Darbo, who we stashed all season. There's uh, reason to believe that this guy's going to be good for us. Also, don't forget synergy between quarterback and receivers. I want Pierich back. Um, I feel like we can lock this up. It's such an important position group. Uh, just keep it going. Okay. You guys know I'm a, a little bit of a, like, I like to track the free agents and look at the contracts. That's kind of one of my favorite things. Uh, I like the GM side of it. There are some very interesting unrestricted free agents Before in, we do that, at wide receiver. Can we talk roles real quick? Yeah. So I think we want to talk roles because in an offense, a receiver's a receiver, but they kind of fill a niche. Sure. So Doug Baldwin's your move the sticks receiver. He's a slot. He just buys you first at, downs. Doug Baldwin at his absolute best is in a three west wide receiver set playing in the slot. He's basically unstoppable. Um, that That is not a knock. People might think like, oh, that's a diss. You, you said he should play in the slot. Um, there are many wide receivers that I consider to be extraordinarily good that play most of their snaps in the slot. Baldwin's numbers uh, are very similar and, and to ba- Brandon and, Cooks. And Baldwin might be the, There's a reason. the best one. Baldwin might be the best one that gets to play a ton in the slot and gets to... Now, this year, he didn't play as much in the slot. And that was a, that was a function of the Seahawks not having very good outside receivers, in my opinion. Um, they did not have guys that I felt like, other than Richardson, who were well-equipped to play outside in the offense. So they had to lean on Doug to play outside almost every... Almost every time we had three receivers on the Would field. you say ideally Lockett's also a slot receiver? Yeah, that's another problem is that Lockett is Lockett and Baldwin are kind of samey. That's what mind. I don't like about only having those two receivers moving forward if we don't end up signing someone or bringing someone in because Paul Richardson is the big catch radius outside receiver make the play on the sideline, whereas like what you're saying, Baldwin and Lockett uh, run the shorter routes uh, move the sticks, get you those kind of first down chunk yards. They're really good West Coast receivers, but you need that threat. And Tyler Lockett yeah. was able to threaten vertically with his speed uh, two years ago. Yeah, and, and you I didn't think, see that last year. Like last year, like Doug ran 397 routes out of the slot, and uh, Tyler ran 250. So they both played in the slot a lot, and they both were really good out of the slot too. Uh, Doug was better because... Because Let's Doug's be really honest, good. Doug's really, really good, and Tyler Lockett's really good too. But uh, Doug might, like I said, Doug might be the one of the very best. Like other guys who are really good that play out of the slot a lot, though. Adam Thielen, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup. All these guys had 250 routes run. Larry Fitzgerald ran 403 routes out of the slot last year. Like there are good receivers who play in the slot all the time, and Doug is one of them. Yeah, if you don't think Larry Fitzgerald and Adam Thielen are great receivers, then you don't watch football. And if you think Keenan Allen's <laughs> bad, you probably just watched that thing during the Pro Bowl because <laughs> he was horrible. <laughs> he was good the rest of the season, but he was horrible in that. Well, I think also the problem with the Seahawks, so much that we ran into with you know lack of protection for us, but even uh, you know Jimmy Graham, he's. He has the size. He didn't really have the speed. We couldn't get him downfield. We had a lot of guys clumped in the middle, close to the line of scrimmage part of the field. He's another slot receiver. Exactly. So we were running three slot receivers. You know what? I never thought about that until we just broke it down tonight. Yeah, it's a little... Our, our wide receiver... The composition of our wide receiver group is a little clunky to me. 
and uh, that's kind of why I want to look at some of. And when I when you hear the free agents I mention, I want you to think about how these guys are going to fulfill a much different role than the guys that we currently have on the roster. Because I don't mind except having, Paul Richardson, who does fill a different role. Paul Richardson is the guy, right? Like, and we need another. Paul Richardson type receiver who can play on the outside because a four wide receiver set with Richardson, someone else, and then two slot receivers named Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett is um Ooh, that's uh, freaky mm. like crazy. Uh, I think their hope was that Darbo might be able to play on the outside some, and it didn't pan out quite the way they expected. Do you see no. that as a possibility? No, uh, it's what he is, but I don't think he'll be more than a rotation He's guy. He's more just like an outside hitch guy, though, right? Uh, I feel like he can run any route outside, but he just has trouble making separation. You have to scheme him open. He cannot create his own space, in my opinion. Hmm. Okay, so... Uh, I wrote down a list of a few wide receivers, too, so I'm really interested in which ones you chose. Okay, so... and. Okay, so I got some guys. These are guys that I think could play well on the outside that are uh, unrestricted free agents. I don't mess with RFAs because I don't want to give up draft picks at all to get football players. Okay, yep. Sammy Watkins is my is my number one guy. Uh, Sammy Watkins is 24 years old. We get to steal him directly from a division rival. I've heard they're going to franchise him, so it doesn't really matter. But if we could get Sammy Watkins, uh, he's 24 years old, and it would be absolutely incredible. Uh, even... People will look at the 593 yards last year and be like, oh, well, what? I mean, he had to play, he had to adjust to a new offense and play with two quarterbacks that I don't really think are that good. The other thing is, if you look at his efficiency numbers, he's extremely similar to Paul Richardson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he catches around, uh, he catches over half the balls thrown his way, which you want from an outside receiver. Um, he, he gets a few defensive pass interferences. Um, he's just a very efficient receiver. The thing about Watkins. And he threatens with his speed. The other thing about Watkins, too, is that, like, I think that if they don't decide not to franchise him, he's more affordable than a lot of these other guys I'm about to mention. Yeah, he'll be about, right in that five to seven million too. Yeah, he might be. He might be like Richardson plus two or three million, which is very, very reasonable rate for a, a wide receiver of his considerable talents. Okay, my next guy on my wish list would be Allen Robinson, but Allen Robinson's going to be freaking expensive. He's going to get thirteen million from somebody. Like the Bears are going to pay him. Yeah, some, a dump truck. Full some of money. team near the cap floor is going to back up a dump truck full of money to Allen Robinson's house, but. God, All things considered, good. he's worth the money. He's coming off a knee injury, which may, might make him cheaper. Uh, I like Allen Robinson. Just uh, watch, go watch Allen Robinson highlight videos. It's uh, it's if, everything if, I like about a, a good big wide receiver. If the injury hurts him in uh, like getting paid, that only helps him stay in Jacksonville. Which, if they get like Kirk Cousins, that will be huge for them. You know what? The best thing, if you want to know how good Allen Robinson is, do you want to know what you should go do? Look up his statistics and highlight reel from Penn State because he's so good he made Christian Hackenberg look like he didn't <laughs> suck. Yeah. That is amazing. Pretty much. All right, my my now I'm gonna go into a couple guys who I think are actually affordable. Okay. Or just one guy mostly. Dante Moncrief. Uh, Dante Moncrief's an unrestricted free agent out of Indianapolis. Uh, he's also young. You're noticing a theme here. I'm picking up guys. I want to get a guy that is young and can develop and not leave our team in five years. Uh, Moncrief is a, t- a tough read on how much money he's going to get in free agency. But I like Dante Moncrief for 4 to $6 million a year quite a bit. Uh, I, I'm a big fan. Kevin, do you, how do you feel about Dante Moncrief? Uh, Dante Moncrief is also on my list. High efficiency, uh, catches over half the balls thrown his way. Yeah. Um, he's has speed to create separation. He's a little taller at six two. Uh, I I had the same criteria. I was looking for younger receivers over six feet tall that can create separation and play on the outside. And I'm also trying to be realistic here. Like I know that 
there are certain like guys on this list that we're just not going to get, or there's guys. This list is yeah. Marquise Lee is going to make more than we Marquise would want Lee, to pay him. We're not getting Marquise Lee because he's also going to play in a similar position. I don't really. Jarvis Landry is going to play best in the slot on short bubble passes. Jarvis Landry, we he's don't a bad need. fit. He's a good person to bring up because Jarvis Landry probably someone people are going to talk about like, oh, Jarvis Landry is pretty good. Like he got 987 yards last year, nine touchdowns. He's a really good wide receiver. I agree. He's a terrible fit for the Seahawks because where does he play in our team? He's a screen short pass guy. He's all he does is push Doug Baldwin farther to the outside. Think about what Torrey Smith does. Now think about what the opposite of that on a football field yeah, looks exactly. like and that's what Jarvis Landry's great at that's who you started I was like what what uh the other one that I think people are going to bring up uh is Jordan Matthews and oh. Nathan why does Jordan Matthews not make sense he plays all his snaps in the slot that's yep. a terrible idea here's here's the other guy I thought you were going to bring up Kevin that is one Terrell Pryor and how long did I say about Terrell Pryor is it's a total wild card he did literally nothing. He did less than nothing last year he was bad. he was bad had a really bad season Pryor. yep but the season before Season before, he was like the best player on Cleveland. I have no idea what to expect from Terrell Pryor. I don't know, but I do know this: he's six foot four. He definitely can run good routes. He's a smart football player, and no one on earth loves a redemption story more than Pete Carroll. Fact. So, I don't want to put say we're definitely going to get not going to get, but do not take Terrell Pryor off the off the backboard. He is someone I think that this team would be very interested in bringing in on a budget deal and trying to make work. Uh, I know Kevin. I'll just say right now, you guys are totally in sync right now because I, I showed Eric my list of players. Yeah. <laughs> You've named all but one of my players on the list, and I will name the last one in a second. But I'll, I I'll bet say you this. I was thinking about that one and just kind of like wrote it off. I'll give maybe I'll give the reason why. The thing okay. I like about Terrell Pryor is uh, jokingly, hey, we have a backup quarterback if we sign him. <laughs> but also, uh, if, if I can go in the kind of way back machine and go into Pete Carroll's first year. Uh, he brought in an old friend of his, Mike Williams. Big Mike Williams. Big BMW, Big Mike Williams, a guy who unfortunately did not last after that first year back with the Seahawks. Because he was a very limited player. He And and he had some off-the-field uh, addictions. Anyway. Like top pot. <laughs> Here's the thing. Mike Williams was a big body. He was a guy who could run routes. He had speed at times. Uh, as the season went on, he did not. But that's the type of guy I want to see on this team. That's who maybe we thought Jimmy Graham was going to be. Terrell Pryor, maybe he can be that can, guy. Can I check every physical box? Can I try to guess your last guy, Kevin? Yep. Is you're it, gonna get is it. Is it Kendall Wright? No. Dang it! Oh, I thought so. I was so confident because I was like, I really looked at Kendall Wright for a long time, and I was like, uh, Kendall Wright. I really like him. Uh, Kendall Wright was one of the people I was thinking, but I felt like I already hit that. And another thing too is, is that I just felt like every other guy that I had already that I've mentioned so far was better than Kendall Wright. That is the reason why I didn't mention Kendall Wright because I feel like we're gonna if we're gonna drop four million. Uh, I'd rather drop it on Dante Moncrief. Yeah. All right. Who's your or guy then? Cody Latimer. Okay. I, I'm not in crazy about Cody Latimer, but I get it. Uh, I think Cody Latimer is an interesting player. So he also runs about 6'2", 215. Uh, he didn't get a lot of play in Denver last year because their quarterback situation was a shit show. But he's another guy who catches about 60% of the passes going his way. He could play in and out of the slot. I think he projects better as an outside receiver which they had Demarius Thomas. So in two receiver sets, um, he was usually off the field. When he brought in the third receiver, you'd move Emmanuel Sanders on the inside and put Latimer on the outside. And I think he could play that role kind of swapping in and out with Tyler Lockett. All right, and if you guys will excuse my rosturbation here, because I know this is unrealistic. This guy's not an unstricted free agent. He's not even on the market. But my dreams, okay, I have a cup. Marvin Jones Jr., 
I everything I watch <laughs> and read about this guy is would be amazing on the Seahawks. That's all I'm gonna say. All right, uh, let's move on to tight ends. Oh wait, oh, draft. We got drafts. Huh? Oh yeah, we didn't, we we can draft. There's like so many six foot four wide receivers in this draft. Uh, Kevin, get there's it. no shortage on height. So the top guys <laughs> at wide receiver: uh, Calvin Ridley out of Alabama, James Washington out of Oklahoma State, Anthony Miller from Memphis, Cortland Sutton from Southern Methodist, and Marcel Aitman out of Oklahoma State. Write them off. We're not getting any of them. We're not spending our first round pick on a wide receiver. You don't Thank think you. so? You don't think? Oh yeah, it seems more likely we'd spend it on a on a. Um, I don't want to see that man. We'd spend it on a lineman. Can, we'd spend it on I'll a pass honest, rusher. We'd spend it on something else. I'm not sure you can write all those guys off because a lot of the stuff I've looked at it only has like one or two guys in the first round for wide receivers. Here, so, uh, so we also don't have a second or a third round pick. Oh, yeah. Then all those guys are going in the second round, like most of them probably are. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to have James Washington. He's production all day. Dude had like 1,500 yards this year. He had 1,400 last year. He's just one of those guys who's always open. Anthony Miller makes his own space. Like, I would love to have either of those guys. Calvin Ridley's going to go in the top 10. If you don't want Calvin Ridley, I question your football IQ. Like, that guy's just, he makes plays all day. All right. So, so moving to people in... So I took. It's got to be round four or later, and that takes out like even people like, probably like the the guy from Indiana, Semi Cobbs Jr. So I put a couple of people in here that are going to be like around the third. Okay. Because I think I could see us trading in, or if we trade back from the first round, maybe we trade in the early second and pick up a third, something like that. Okay. I think that's entirely possible. All right. So, so who's, your, who's your who's your top guy? There's going to be two profiles here. It's either the big body catch radius guy. Or the person who can use speed on the outside in order to make space. Think Golden Tate. So Golden Tate, number one, is Christian Kirk out of Texas A&M. He's about 5'11". He's got extremely quick feet. He's a big-time returner. Um, He's a really interesting player who can make space on the outside once he figures out how to get off press coverage. I really thought you were about to say Dante Pettis. I was like, Kevin, he just can't. Get his purple glasses <laughs> off. Uh, he's gonna say Dante Pettis because he's saying talking about small. Dante Pettis series. isn't gonna go in the third round though. Oh, he's going in the third round. And he's going later than that. Okay, I was gonna say like uh, he's going at least in the third round. And yeah, I'd be interested in Dante Pettis, but I think Christian Kirk is better. better. He's just a better version of the same player. Yeah, Christian, and then Christian hey, Kirk's good. Simi Cobbs is the other one I think could go around okay. the third round. Dude, 6'4", 220. He plays with his size. Uh-huh. He will body up a defensive back. And I like uh, he's a good this, hands catcher. What I like about the Simi Cobbs video I watched, because I, whenever I see a guy from like Indiana, I'm always like, mm, he went to Indiana. Big 10, though. He probably didn't play. Then I watch, and then they show all these clips of him playing against Ohio State and just like yep. kicking ass. And I'm like, oh, this guy can play against Ohio State. I'm into this now. Like, I was like, I yeah. get all excited. That's something to love. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my favorite thing about these highlight videos is, like, you look and you're like, oh, he's playing a bunch of snaps against this guy who's in the NFL now. Yeah. This is actually interesting. <laughs> he just made that catch over Eli Apple. I know that guy. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Simi Cobbs would be interesting. Uh, you really moving... think Marcel Aitman's going to go in the second round for sure? I think he's going to go in the first or the second round, even though, in my opinion, he's a one-year wonder. He, dude's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he's huge. And same with the, what about that guy from Florida State? Like, can we Do we have any chance to get that guy? That really I don't guy? want Adam Tate. Oh, you don't like him? I think Simi Cobbs... Uh, here's the thing. If I'm drafting, based on everything I've seen, Simi Cobbs is a better hands catcher. I want that catch radius. I think Tate has a lot of size. I think Simi Cobbs is the better receiver. Yeah, well, Auden Tate is definitely we'll like an unfinished product at this point. Yeah. he's more, but, I, but the thing is, is I can imagine us with Tate running those same plays we ran for Graham last year where he just like boxes a guy out in the end zone. 
Because a lot of his touchdowns were like, hey, run a curl route and box out the guy defending you because you're huge. But I don't think Cobbs, I think Cobbs could do the exact same thing, but also like be a real route receiver. run himself open. Yeah. yeah okay. That's when we fair. talk about people like uh, Mara Darbo and Kevin, you said you think he's going to be a rotation guy. I don't want to draft a, and I don't mean to be rude about this, I don't want to draft a smaller guy who could possibly settle into a slot or midfield role. That's why I'm looking like all these guys you're mentioning that are big. I'm like, ooh, that interests me more than the smaller guy. But Christian Kirk is going to get the separation. Like, think uh, Brandon Cooks. Well, you said Golden Tate, and I think Paul Richardson. Uh, I think those two are, you know, they have similar games. If you're right around six foot, if you're really quick, then you can create that separation with your feet. The small receiver thing is going to be weird for me, though, too, because I feel like we have an embarrassment of riches in the terms of the, like, six foot quick good route runner. Like, we... We have Lockett and Baldwin. We have two of the best, right? All right, They're... cool. Let me throw you a couple others then. Yeah, me... How about uh, Equinemia St. Brown out of Notre Dame? 6'5", 204, doesn't play with his height as well as... Uh, he doesn't play with his size like Simi Cobbs does. He doesn't box you out, but he'll go vertical and over the top of you. Six, he is freakishly athletic. 204? Yeah. Dude runs like a running back. Huh. Uh, he just has lower numbers because his quarterback sucked but I'm sorry. What what school again? Uh, he was Notre Dame, and okay. they had a run first quarterback. When he had Deshaun Kaiser the year before, he put up really respectable numbers. Like last year, uh, let's see. Last year, Equinemia St. Brown uh, had 33 catches for 515 yards and four touchdowns. Wait, Kevin, did he but make- with an actual quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser uh, the year before in 2016, he had 58 catches for 961 yards. Did he make Deshaun Kaiser look better though than? He, he did make Deshaun Kaiser okay. look better. He was he's an athletic receiver. He'll go get a ball. He'll high point it, um, which is really nice. His catch radius is going to be big. I just like Simi Cobbs more because Simi Cobbs is a more physical receiver, and I think that has a good fit in our offense. That's something we don't have. Uh, is there any like under the radar guy, like totally under the radar guys that you just want to call out so that you can look really smart in like in like three weeks, you know, so you can be like, hey, I, I talked about that guy. Uh, so there's Cedric Wilson out of Boise you, State, you said, but he has you, some good height. You said Jaleel Scott, right? Uh, I'm not going to call out Jaleel Scott. He's a lot of height, but I just don't think he can get open. He had like the most long receptions of anyone I could find. And in, who's in he whole, play for? Uh, New Mexico State. And who's he play against? No one. That's why I was, I was like, I was like, is this guy actually good? Uh, I needed to know. Watching him in the senior bowl. I'm just, I'm not convinced he can create space. Okay. Uh, he's somebody that you might pick up. He's exactly what you just said about Auden Tate. Where you're oh. like, okay, let's like he's like there's a he's pl- a rich man's Tanner McAvoy. You you know what you're getting. You there's a play you can run for him and it'll work. Yeah, hey, run into the end zone, box him out. Uh, so the two guys I want to bring up are Byron Pringle out of Kansas State. Okay, uh, he's six two two oh five. He's a JUCO guy. Uh, as Nate can attest to from what he watched, Kansas State didn't have a quarterback nope. at all. Well, they had four, but they were all bad. You're right, they had a bunch <laughs> of running backs that threw the ball, and so. Byron Pringle showed himself to be extremely athletic. Uh, what is it? This dude averaged 24 yards per catch. That's insane. But he only had 30 catches, so his numbers weren't that impressive. But he looks like the kind of guy who can play on the outside, create separation. He seems to have a good idea of where the sideline is. And bonus in a Pete Carroll offense, he's a good run blocker. Another guy that I think is really interesting out of Central Florida, national champions, is uh, Traquan Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Traquan Smith is a little over six foot. He's another guy who can make catches on the outside. He's a guy who gets open with his route running. He almost had a thousand re- receiving yards too, which is like pretty impressive for a college player. Yeah, does not a lot of guys did that last year. Yeah, Traquan Smith had eleven hundred and seventy-one yards, which is good, quite good. Uh, so, 
And so he's another guy who's kind of more of a deep threat. He can stretch the field a little bit. But the big thing with him is that he makes his change of directions at pace. So when he's making a cut, it's really hard for the corner to handle it. So he's fast enough to threaten the vertical route, which means a corner can't play super tight on him. But when the corner gives him space, he can sell the double move, which means he can get open on those short and intermediate routes. Yeah. Uh, so he's a pretty complete receiver, and he's over six foot tall. So that gives him uh, a similarity to the Paul Richardson role. What I'm interested in seeing as we get further into the offseason is uh, what his catch radius looks like because he was able to get open a little bit more against Conference USA uh, opponents. But what I liked was, and the guys that I'm naming, a big reason I named them is because they're an active receiver, and I'm big on that. That's what Paul Richardson is. They're a person who goes out with their hands and gets the ball instead of letting the ball come into their body. Yeah, it's the thing about the thing about a guy like Byron Pringle or like so the Byron Pringle he's a guy he brought up and he's two point nine four yards per route run, which is fantastic. Seventeenth in the nation. But guys like him and like Ricky June out of Georgia Tech, stuff like that, these guys got no volume. And so it's gonna be really hard to tell. Like they have good tape and you just have to like hope that they can translate that to a bigger workload, right? Like exactly. That, that can can Ricky June take the forty five targets he got for five hundred and forty five yards? Absurd. Or Byron Pringle, fifty six targets for six eighty two. Like that's absurd, but he, can he can he take that to the next level when he's going to get eighty targets or ninety targets and start to become a number one? Because we don't need a number two wide receiver. Let's be real about it. We don't need a number two wide receiver. We need one of these guys to develop into a big time number one, right? So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. Well, I think Kevin, when you said uh, a physical receiver is something we're lacking, yes. Mm-hmm. You also brought in run blocking, something I totally forgot about when you're going through this. Those are two things that go hand in hand. I feel like. As Nathan said, we we go for that. We have the embarrassment of riches. I love that phrase. On the you know the six foot quick Wiley receivers, uh, a big guy, six four, physical. Um, are these guys going to last to the second or third round? Providing we get a pick in that round, I think they are because you're looking at players like you know uh, Simi Cobbs. Uh, a lot of people are looking at Cortland Sutton instead. So they'll pick up Cortland Sutton because they want that big receiver. So Simi Cobbs will might last until the late second, early third. Um, especially when you're looking at a guy like Byron Pringle because he didn't put it on tape um, as far as volume. Going, going back and watching the film. Like so Nathan you go said. back and watch the film, you can see good plays, but you don't see volume. And he had to make so many plays off of slop throws where you know it's uh, something that you saw on a lot of tape for some of the tight ends we're going to bring up when you're getting underthrown, it's hard to show that you can do a good hands catch because you constantly have to basket it because you're coming in like a center fielder well uh, as kevin and i spoke on the way up here we don't have a pick in the second and third round this year we we may we may be trading back our first round to to get those picks it's a problem for sure yeah, uh, that's the, a big hole in our and, draft. And the thing that happened was that Dwayne Brown trade with stupid Jeremy Lane not passing his friggin' physical. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I get the feeling that he passed the physical and they failed him on purpose. Like I don't know. There's just no word around the league is that's what's up. And there's a lot of uh, talk about something needing to be done about that. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not into it. All right, we move now to the tight ends. Tight ends under contract for next year. There's just the one uh, Tyrone Swoops and uh, I think that and Nick Vanette. Is Vanette under contract? Vanette's under contract, Vanette is man. under contract, yeah. So He's still on his rookie deal. Vanette and Swoops. That is it. Do you feel comfortable going into next season with just those two guys, Kevin? No, because I don't like carrying only two tight ends. Okay, so we need... Especially in a um, so in your, Schottenheimer offense. In your opinion, we need at least one more. Correct. Okay, so um, 
here's my thing. Okay, uh, I've watched some of these guys because the tight end big board for Pro Football Focus has like twelve guys on. I have one free agent. I'm. Oh, you have a free agent? Yep. Oh, okay. I didn't even look at the tight end free agents. That's how. That's how little interest. I was like, I was, why are that's we skipping how, free agents? That's how little interest I had in us paying money to get free agents. So just give me a second, pull that up, and uh, you tell me yours. Okay. So the person I listed is because they'll cost less than Luke Wilson, which was my qualification for somebody, and they're a pass catching first tight end, and that's Richard Rogers, who used to play for Green Bay. I think he would be a decent, low-cost pickup if you didn't want to try and go. Because you have to ask yourself, do you want to trust Swoops and a rookie and Vanette, who hasn't really been tested that much? This would at least give you kind of a reliable veteran guy. All right. Uh, I look at this list of free agents, and I see a lot of um, guys People who are I, older are getting paid too much? Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of guys I either don't want or Antonio Gates, who I just want for nostalgia. Nathan, you <laughs> love um, Tyler Eifert. I hate Tyler Eifert. He's how, so hurt all how, the time. How much do you want to have an injured guy on your roster? Like that's how much you want Tyler Eifert. This this is a this is a sorry list of tight ends. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, dude. It's Jimmy Graham and dudes. Jimmy Graham's gonna get paid like twenty million dollars this offseason. I think Trey Burton might list. make dumb money. Trey Burton's gonna get stupid money. Yeah, <laughs> he was really efficient in Philly's offense. Somebody's gonna pay him like ten million, and you'd be like, wow, that's a lot. The slow track Burton. market is seven million, which is a lot. Yeah, cool. That's about right. But but Austin Safari and Jenkins slow track market's four point one. So I don't really know what to think about that. The Ed Dixon. Is that his blood alcohol level or his Ooh, oh, sorry. Okay. Oops. So so now into the into the actual draft. So what I was gonna say is so I, I there's only like twelve guys I had to look at for this, right? And I looked at him and I just like nobody was like, Oh yeah, that's that's the guy. Like I was Really? I was kind of like whelmed by a lot of these guys. Like I was like, Oh, they're all they're all fine. None of these guys like blew me away. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm so excited to get him. In the way that like, you know, watching O. J. Howard tape or like some and I I don't know. I just don't think any of these guys... There's no way any of these guys get picked in the first round. Let me just just throw that out there. Uh, I think one person might sneak into the back end of the first. Like, uh, Like I could see Hayden Hurst getting there. Okay. Or like Mark Andrews, maybe? Maybe Mark Andrews, but Mark Andrews didn't put it together for multiple years. And he was... The type of offense he was playing in, I don't know if it'll translate the way people want it to. So uh, I think Hayden Hurst, if anyone gets in, is him. Is it the Hayden Hurst thing that like the he played baseball first, so maybe he just doesn't know the position that well? Like, do you think he's getting excused because like his catch percent's not that good, his yards per completion doesn't? He had one touchdown, like. Uh, so Hayden Hurst. (laughs) That's uh, one touchdown is like. Hayden Hurst played with a freshman quarterback, Uh so the two years you're looking at are a freshman and sophomore quarterback uh, under a coach who's known to not be able to coach a good offense. So I think those are factoring in, because it's it's Will Muschamp who was the Florida coach when they had great defense and no offense. And you're going to love this stat, Kevin. He had the 12th lowest percentage of negatively graded run blocks in the draft class, so he's a pretty good run blocker. Yeah, Uh, I think Hayden Hurst is a really complete tight end. He'll do really well, but I tend to agree. There's going to be a lot of, like, second and third round tight ends. Yeah, these guys all seem like they're they're I. Like, I'm, I'm like... I'm into picking one of these guys in the fifth round. So my favorite guy is Troy Fumagalli. Okay. He's going to go probably in the third uh, out of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I loved watching him play. This guy is like my kind of tight end. He's a little taller, a little more angular. Um, so he's not quite the squat body that you think of with like the late 90s, early 2000s tight ends. But he run blocks like one. Like his hands get a little outside at times. But man, like I would love to have this dude. This dude's a really good tight end. Yeah, my thing for him when I was looking at the stats is he had six drops last year, which is like 
kind of a lot for a guy who only had uh, 66 targets. Quarterback sucked. Yeah, but the, those are catchable passes, like considered by the stat service is to be a catchable pass. I don't know. It might not have been a pretty pass, but they thought he should have caught it. <laughs> uh, so that kind of bugs me. But he did have really good yards per route run. Like in tight ends, he was sixth, which is pretty dope. Um, yeah, yeah, he's also a red zone threat. I can see why you like him, and especially in the third round. I think I could totally dig it. Like if sec- third and second round, like if we get that's where we get him, I'm I'm fine with that. Okay, if um, we go a little bit later, there's three more guys I want to bring up. All right, let's do it. Uh, my favorite tight end that I think that we could get, and I think would be a really good value. I really like Durham Smythe out of Notre Dame. Uh, Durham Smythe would have been our second bless, our second best blocking tackle last year. I don't even have him. I didn't even scout him because he wasn't on my list. What? So he is he a really good blocker? That's his, that's his thing. Well, he had 15 catches for 244 yards. So not like huge catch numbers. Which is probably why I didn't look at him. Okay. No, uh, he didn't have huge catch numbers. But when you watch the way that he plays, he's able to use his body to create separation and position. Mm-hmm. He's a little shorter than some of the other guys. He's six four, but you're getting a lot more of those like six five to six seven guys at tight end now. And he's a little bit more of a bigger body around 250. Um, he always seems to know where he should be to do the block. He's an active blocker, so he gets his hands out there and, like, he delivers the block. He doesn't, like, catch, which is a problem you get with some tight ends. Like, you could lead block with this dude. Um, I think he's a... And then he's good at using his body to shield the ball from the defender. Kevin, here's my thing, man. Tell me about Dallas Godert. Can you please tell me about this this, uh, mid-major prospect who has, like, crazy good stats and like an insane catch radius he had the most exciting video of anyone to watch but the whole time i'm just thinking all these players he's playing against are not very good all these guys he's playing against are not very good i couldn't get it out of my head so yeah and when you saw him in senior bowl practice teamed up against division one linebackers he struggled to get the separation um i think that he's okay he's solid but i think that his numbers have a lot to do with the talent he was playing against so okay uh, he's another mid-round guy. Uh, the other two people I want to bring up, uh, Ian Thomas out of Indiana, is uh, a catch-first tight end. Oh, yeah, one drop one drop on 30, uh, 25, 26 catchable balls. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he's not a natural blocker, so he would definitely be more of like a pass-catching guy. He'd be much more of a Luke Wilson role. Okay. And then I really like Ryan Izzo out of Florida State. And he's another guy who's a really good physical blocker, uh, always knows where he needs to be. He has the size to handle linebackers and defensive ends, um, but he has enough speed to extend the play after he gets the ball. And he's a really capable pass catcher. He can go up and use his hands. Oh, yeah. He only had 27 targets last year. That's crazy. Like, they, some of these guys are just so underused. You don't even know. Like, they could project, like you said, like you said, you saw something on the tape. If our scouts see something similar, like, they... They could project out so much because that's just so little volume, right? Yeah, and if it's, like Smythe and Izzo could easily end up going on day three, if we picked up either of those guys on day three, and we went in with either Smythe or Izzo and Vanette as our top two tight ends, with Swoops as like the athletic third tight end for uh, certain packages, like I could feel really good about that. Dang, and Fumagalli came in fourth in yards per route run last last oh, season God, among tight so ends, two point one five. Just wanted to throw another stat out there because I've been looking up all these guys as you go. Uh, for their stats because like i said the youtube videos didn't get me excited so i kind of just stopped <laughs> i was kind of like eh. yeah they uh, start showing the blocking and you get bored well not just that but like i'm just like <laughs> i'm like uh that that's cool you know he he, he made a, a decent catch there like and there was nothing then uh, the most exciting tape like i said was the, the division one double a guy who i'm like eh. 
This isn't real. That's, I need to see more just to know. But as of right now, I just don't see Goddard as being any better that? than the other guys. And someone's going to reach for him. What about him. the Central Michigan guy? Isn't he pretty good? Tyler Conklin? I, the video didn't do anything for me, but like people like him, seem to like him. Tyler Conklin's really interesting. And he did well uh, He did well against the guys in the Senior Bowl. And the last couple of years, Central Michigan's got to play some high-profile games. And he's shown out for those pretty well. But honestly, I just... I didn't see enough of him to really be able to get a good feel for him. Like the other guys, I feel like I can say with confidence that I think they'll be good products. I just need to get further into Conklin before I can really say. And then uh, the Stanford kid, is he coming out or not? Uh, Schultz is coming out. Okay. And he really wasn't used that much. Yeah, I can say rate from, is low. Yeah. I Very can see low. from the tape that he's a decent run blocker, but he, not anything to write yeah, home about. I read about. a scout thing that, I, that said he was... They said he was like Jason Witten, and I was like, "Dang, that's that's a big claim. That's like his agent you, put that out you there. You can't you can't say that and just like back off from that." That's yeah, a- dude, his mom wrote a really nice scouting report. <laughs> um, Jason Witten is so good. It's funny though, Kevin. Look at that's maybe the best tight end in the game uh, consistently over the last like twelve years. Here's the thing for me in this Seahawks system, Jason Witten's who we want. Like not you're not gonna get Jason Witten. That guy's amazing. But you want a, but a you big want guy a guy who who's block. big enough to block. Like catch. we talked about this on the way yeah. over. Uh we've had this problem where with Luke Wilson and Jimmy Graham, we have like 80-20 guys. Eighty percent pass catching tight end, twenty percent blocking tight end. We need a sixty forty guy. Sixty percent pass catching, forty percent blocking to be able to pull off the the full West Coast experience. And I think Vanette can be that guy, and I think any of the guys that I named could be that guy. When you said Vanette is probably going to uh, settle in as our number two tight end, which would be ideal. Kevin, let me ask you this. Of all the tight ends we spoke about today, uh, mentioned or not, how many tight ends are going in the first 40 picks of the NFL draft? 45 picks. Mm. Two at most. Okay. Two Probably at, one. Two. At, okay, so I'm telling you right now, that number is going to increase just because we're still far away from the draft and people have got to put up stupid combine numbers that won't translate. People won't care. Yeah, a lot of people haven't read that guy's uh, mom's scouting report about him being Jason Witten. I mean, these guys, some of these guys are going to come out of nowhere to get picked earlier. Who do you see like being a surprise? How the hell did that guy reach his way up the draft board? And uh, is it one of the guys that you're psyched about us getting? And be no. honest, be honest. No, not really. Because Darren Smythe's not going to blow you away with the workout. He's going to blow you with the tape. Darren, same with uh, same with Izzo. None of these guys seem like they're going to be like, oh, man, that guy ran a 4 four forty. I think that's Goddard. I think Goddard is that guy. He's going to get people super excited, and they're going to ignore the lack of translation. Or maybe they see something I don't, and he will translate. It's going to be that's Goddard, or it's going to be Mark Andrews. That's the guy that's the borderline first-rounder? Uh, I think uh, Hurst... Andrews and Goddard are the only ones that I think could go in the top 40, 45. And at most two of them, but I really think only one. All right. So there you go. There's us talking about wide receivers and tight ends. I feel like we covered it. Yep. Got uh, there. So uh, if you have a wide receiver, a uh, free agent, or our draft pick that we missed, and you want to talk to him about us, uh, we got a really great uh, comment on the Facebook page this week about Rashad Penny, who was someone we had been scouting, and then he crushed it in the Senior Bowl. Fact. Uh, he, he had 73 like a 70- yard reception. And, and like a 35 yard rush, too. That was pretty sweet. Um, he was very, very good. Uh, and he showed all the things that had us excited about him, too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to talk about these guys. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you trust the professionals, right? Like, we, we watch a lot of football and we know some stuff about it, but at the end of the day, I'm going to try to. 
when the Seahawks draft, it's exciting because you get to try to figure out what did they see that made them pick that guy, right? Like, yeah, that's my favorite part about watching film is trying to dig out film on all the guys that we drafted and being like, oh, wow, that is interesting. Or, man, I could totally see that. Yeah, so uh, that's that's uh, that's that. So let's go to the money zone. If you want to support our podcast and also hear our Super Bowl props and picks podcast and all our other mini podcasts that we do for our Patreons, plus a few video breakdowns, you can head to patreon.com slash SeahawksNest. You also can... Uh, Support us by going to Twitter, twitter.com slash SeahawksNest, or following us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the SeahawksNest. Uh, also, five star reviews on iTunes are always welcomed. Uh, you guys have done a great job supporting these last couple of weeks. It's been nice to see some new faces around. I know that most podcasts don't record year round like this one, so uh, that's kind of like uh, what that's what makes us better than everyone else. You know, that's just that is what it is. Also, if you're that dude that we met at the Pittsburgh bar with Augustine, yeah. uh, join us on Facebook and uh, give a little shout out. We'll give a shout out to you on the podcast. Yeah, and then, you and your wife are cool people. Yeah, they were like they were like Steelers fans that also like the Seahawks, and the, we were in the we went to the Steelers bar for the game and like. It sucked because Jacksonville just went up like 21-0 instantly. And, I was and there like, was this lady there was this lady her behind mind, two tables mind. behind us. Like, it felt, was kind of great and kind of bad. I just felt bad for it because I was just like, man, I've been in that situation before. Like when the Seahawks went down 21 nothing to Carolina and me, Brett, and JD are in the bottom floor of a, of a bar all together watching it on a giant projector screen. And, I'm just, and we're just all completely silent, you know? And everyone – and then uh, Brett just yells – Damn it! You know, he just like yells out <laughs> super loud, just angry, and I'm just like, oh man, it's a sorry to headphones users by the by the way. Maybe I should re-record that part, but <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm just rip everyone who is wearing headphones. Uh, so yeah, he just so angry, and I was just like, I I know what you mean, man. This is horrible. This is like the worst experience of my entire life. And so, I was like five mimosas in. I was doing I was doing fine. Yeah, so <laughs> I was having no problems. <laughs> yeah, so this is rough. And then my empathy left. It was cool. So yeah, and uh, okay. Now let's hit it up. Movie Zone. So we've got about 10 minutes. Uh, so we're going to talk about a movie that Kevin recently watched, Eric recently watched. I watched a long time ago, and it's my favorite movie of 2017. 16. 16. I, I can do years. Uh, that's Arrival. So um, if you haven't seen Arrival, I'm going to spoil it a lot. Um, so before, If you haven't seen Arrival, pause. Before I before I go on, yeah, what I'm going to okay. say is pause, pause it. Go to Amazon Prime. And if you're a Seattle fan, then you should have Amazon Prime because Amazon is our overlords. All hail the mighty A. That's our that's our new uh, president of Seattle. Not not just online Walmart. So not at all. So Amazon Prime though, uh, we all opted in, right? So so Amazon Prime uh, is on the internet. Uh, You can watch the video Arrival for free. It's directed by Dennis Villeneuve, and it's uh, you know I'm always screwing up this name. So I'm gonna I'm gonna Google how to say it. At least Villeneuve, isn't it? Uh, it's. Do you pronounce the e? Uh, you can. You can't. It's ask, ask Dennis. Ask Dennis. That's what I said. Ask Dennis. Dennis the Villanueva. menace. Villanueva. 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 Yeah. Okay. So anyway, whatever. Nah. He. Uh, he. He. <laughs> so he Denny, direct. He directed it. Also, he directed, is who we thought he was. He directed past movie movie zone uh, participant Sicario and uh, probably future movie zone uh, participant Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Sicario, so good. And future future. Uh, future future movie zone participant dune so all these movies all these <laughs> oh, movies geez. all these movies are going to be uh are, are awesome or, yeah we're giant nerds so we're gonna uh, watch those so so yeah arrival though let's talk about arrival okay arrival was nominated last year for the best picture it uh also was nominated for best director best adapted screenplay and it won for best sound editing it stars amy adams and jeremy renner forrest whitaker also appears in, in an interesting uh <laughs> role uh, I liked his role. I thought he was good in that. Yeah, I thought he was great, Army too. Army diplomat. Kinda. I liked him better than Jeremy Renner. Okay. So, I like Jeremy Renner, and so shut your face. Let's <laughs> let's start 
this let's start with this um this movie is not for someone who wants to sit and absorb some movie without thinking at all fact um this movie is not for you if you not want a popcorn movie if you want to popcorn it up and watch a movie arrival is a bad choice um, Arrival, the, the basic plot of the movie, conceit of the movie, for people who decided to keep listening despite my spoiler warnings, is that um, a, a giant, these giant monoliths kind of appear on Earth, and Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and friends uh, are they? They are tr- professional translators, and uh, yeah, Amy Adams is a translator. Linguist, linguists, uh, uh, they're linguists. Jeremy Renner is a mathematician. Forrest Whitaker is heading the army operation here. Um, his eye is looking at something slightly off screen. <laughs> he, that was for you, Eric, because I knew you wanted that joke. Uh, so anyway, they, um, they, their job is they want to, they need to communicate with these aliens or find and, a more more clearly find out how you communicate. Right, uh, because, something because, they do because these monoliths appeared and they're not doing anything. Nothing's happening. There's, well, they, let's be clear: these things are they're spaceships. Yeah, they, they're 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 basically yeah, vertically they, standing rocks. They, they call look, them heptapods, right? Yes, yep. uh, that's the, what they the, call the aliens. The aliens, yeah. But uh, when they when they, they look like squid people, when they make contact, they're basically trying to say what you know. What are they? What are they here for? But it's like, well, you're you're asking this broad question, and we're trying to say like, when I'm saying hi. I'm uh, I'm saying hi, they could take it as what are you eating? You know, it's like we need to find a common ground, and that, believe it or not, is such a huge part of the storyline, and it's so important and interesting. My favorite though is the joke that uh she tells um so when forrest whitaker is asking like why are you trying to teach the english language i have to go back and justify this to the pentagon uh you could be giving them a weapon right here and she tells a story about uh was it captain cook um shipwrecking in australia and they're repairing the boats and they ask the aborigine people what these uh um marsupials are that are hopping around and carry the babies in a pouch and the person says kangaroo and it wasn't until decades later they figured out the kangaroo was the aborigine's language way of saying we don't know yeah and then uh forrest whitaker leaves and renner's like that's amazing and he's like yeah the story was complete bullshit <laughs> but it illustrated my point really well and i was like that is that was an amazing joke but this movie does really well uh, again blending humor and science fiction like high concepts but it's not a haha humor kevin like you said it's it's just a nice little an extreme it's, situation it's a comedy. light moment <laughs> in an extreme situation all right so then so the movie develops right with all these extreme situations but let's get away from the from the nuts and bolts stuff okay this movie this movie gets really heavily philosophical right and we, yep. we find out that aliens are here to help uh humanity because 3000 years from now they'll need us and they are going to give them the gift of being able to... Uh, their language helps you comprehend time differently. Um, it lets you see everything that's going to happen and also everything that has happened. Kind of like in a... It lets you unlock time, so to speak. What an, what an amazingly original enough idea. That's, that's what made this movie so good. Super weird. And um, it's and another thing, too, is, is that it's cool because... Cause, uh, you know, there's a part in the movie, point in the movie where you where the puzzle starts to get unlocked, right? Like, she says something to Chinese and a guy, and then later in the movie, he says something in her ear that she needs to know in the past to have said that to him. But because she can speak the alien language, like she has now kind of unlocked that the time thing. Because it starts with her having these dreams that she can't explain, and then as she begins to communicate with this alien yeah. race she starts to understand her dreams and how they are not and this is one of my favorite things about the movie is the movie opens with a very emotional amy adams in a room 
with a younger gun girl who has leukemia and she's dying and she's and you think the whole movie you think that 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 scene is in the past that scene is something that has already happened when in actuality that scene is something that has happened 15 20 years after the movie is over and so uh what's that's what i think is so cool about this movie is that it uses a really unique uh non-linear story structure to really dig at a like an interesting philosophical concept which is the idea that if you knew everything that is going to happen in your life and you knew something horrible would happen would you decide to still live out your life exactly the same way or would you change it Right. And I think like that is an one, it's an incredibly deep and interesting question. And two, it's just a really, really, really cool way to set up the story to get you to think about that question. Yes. And they did it in a beautiful way and in a fantastic job. And it ma- that's what makes it like one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, did, that, I had kind of thought about a lot what I wanted to say. So that that was it. You guys, yeah, no, you guys go, can go. Nice. Uh, I just want to say one more thing with that, though. And yeah. that is there's other movies that screw a sequence and like... The one everyone thinks of immediately is Memento. Yeah. And the problem is that if you take away that trick, the movie that's left is fine. If you take that trick away from this movie, you're left with an extremely good, yeah. high-concept science fiction it movie. It would still be a really good movie. I think that what's cool about it is the nonlinear storytelling enhances the question, right? Exactly. Yeah, it it's very deliberately used in a way that isn't propping up a mediocre movie, but enhancing a movie that's already really good. I think that's a perfect way of saying it because I think that there are, I don't know, 30% of people who saw this movie that didn't realize that that was after the fact, you know, that that still thinks like, oh, that's in her past. Yeah. It took me, it, it well into the movie where I was like, oh, this is, that's not the, that's not in the past. They do a good job of forcing you to question yourself. Like, uh, you know, I realized uh, as things were going along, there's a point where it kind of clicks for you. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't take until the very end if you're paying, you know, close attention, if you're not distracting yourself. But you still are at that point piecing together three storylines. Because you're piecing together yeah. what's happening with the aliens in the present, which has this super interesting message about cooperation and, and how humanity, like how the intellectuals of humanity need to band together when the pettiness of government gets in the way. Right. And there's like a, a really international message. relations message in there. Yeah. And then at the same time, there's the uh, there's the Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner storyline that you're putting together as their relationship is forging because you don't necessarily realize that they end up together. And then at the and same also time as you realize that the daughter is uh, her daughter. daughter. From the, and that they're right. going to end up breaking up because of it. Yeah. Exactly. And so you're putting those three things together and they fall together in such an elegant way where even yeah. if you are piecing them together and you have them figured out, it's not like you've ruined it for yourself. It's more like you're just waiting for it to unfold. It's like you're in the yeah. secret, right? Kevin, it's mm-hmm. a it's yeah. really good description because it's like the movie doesn't – it's not like um, an M. Night Shyamalan movie where the, the twist happens and it punches you in the face. In this, it, it, it's like Kevin said. It's like you put the pieces of the puzzle together, you unfold, and you lean back in your chair and you just feel like, whoa – like this is bigger than I thought it was, you know. It's, like all it, of this is much more than it was ten minutes ago when I was watching the movie, or twenty minutes ago. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it just keeps adding on to itself. It adds to the rewatch, and it's pleasurable because, like you mentioned, the M, M. Night Shyamalan movies, you're uh, you're waiting for a twist, or you're or you're like, oh, that sucked, or oh, that's I get it. 
Uh, this was just like you you absorb it and it it makes you feel good. It makes yeah. you it makes you feel like you're in on the secret. If we can quit being so deep about this movie, the aliens looked cool and pretty original. Yeah, I agree. To and the communication agree. stuff when she takes off the suit and the military people all freak out. And, and also then, just like all the circles when they go into the rooms and there's just all those circles all over the wall and they like kind yeah, of know what most of them yeah. mean. Yeah, it's like really. I mean, really like, cool. you find yourself trying to piece together the language as you're watching her do it. You're like, they are just all, like, semicircles, but there's, like, a big smudge over here, and now the smudge is at the bottom, so this must be a different word. Yeah, that's so how you people find think about Q. Messing with it. That's how I think about the letter Q. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Eric, I think you're right. The, the thing, the, the biggest, you know, critical complaint about this movie is that it there's not enough action and so that's what i want to tell people it's like a lot of people probably went into this movie thinking like "Ooh, sci-fi invasion this is independence day it is not <laughs> independence day this is nothing like independence day this movie is a good movie but it is not an action movie it is there's a little bit of action in it but it is a it's a it's a it's a thinky high concept science fiction movie that and if you go into it with that expectation i think you'll be really really pleased well and also um if you're waiting, like, oh, how long till you see the aliens? Not long. I mean, what, 30 minutes into the movie? 25 minutes? Uh, the movie, this is the highest compliment you can pay. The movie did not seem as long as it was. No. It was shorter than its runtime. So uh, I think it probably was closer to 30, 35 minutes, but it felt like within the first 20 minutes of the movie, you got to see them. Yeah, and, and just the, de- the determinism message, like, it's it's just incredible. I don't know. It's like, that's like stuff I like really like to think about, you know? When the, when Jeremy Renner asks her if she wants to go out on a date at the end of the movie, and she has to decide right then, am I going to follow the path I already know, or am I going to break it? And she decides she's going to keep it the same. Like, that is, that is really, that's a crazy choice and something that I think a lot of people would... I don't know. Like it's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? It's a defining moment, and you get to see it play out in such a cool way. Yeah. So. Uh, I also just want to give, uh, you know, another quick uh, like Amy, uh, Amy Adams has a lot of times where she's interacting and reacting to almost nothing, mm-hmm. and pulls the scenes together in a really logical way. She was excellent in that movie. One of the finest actors we have. She was like she was glue in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Jeremy Renner played his role very well. I enjoyed Jeremy Renner, and I thought that uh, yeah, he was fine. He did, he did a good job of playing every man in that, and yeah. that's what that's what he needed to be. Like he didn't steal any scenes. It was an Amy Adams vehicle, right? But I thought that he was a good call in there. I thought he performed well. I think you're right, Kevin. Amy agree. Amy Adams was the was the best. The best part of the movie. She should have got a uh, best uh, best actress nomination for this. I, don't I really, agree. I don't really understand uh, why she didn't. I mean, looking at the people who got nominated, uh, you know, Emma Stone, Isabel Huppert. Uh, I don't know. Like, you guys. The, then I guess Meryl for Florence Foster Jenkins is the one I'd kick out because give me a break. Like, we Meryl Streep's getting its nomination every year. Just let it go. That was we're not gonna win. So just let it go. Like, give Meryl a year off. <laughs> so yeah, she's got enough. Uh, that's that's my thing. Uh, all right. Any uh, any other uh, any other uh, comments? Uh, arrival? Any uh, other arrival thoughts? Yeah, I am really happy that this movie did better than I think a lot of people anticipated right. at the box office. Hundred million dollar um, maker. And so, because that did better, Domestic. it means that more high concept sci fi gets to be made. Right. And then you know, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was a bit of a disappointment. But as long as the ledger stays on the right side, then I still get to see a bunch of movies I really want to see. This movie was why we got Blade Runner. Yep. And and it's also why he wasn't forced to shave thirty minutes off of that movie when he should have. 
That uh, was the unfortunate <laughs> part. Yeah, that's that's the the the, the old pros and cons there uh, is Blade Runner twenty forty nine is a ten that uh, didn't get edited down to a ten. It it was it got to be a uh, you know whatever it was it was like a solid eight seven and a half. That... So in classic Blade Runner edition, we have to wait and find out which cut is the correct cut no to purchase kidding, over the next fifteen oh, to twenty man. years. Man, is this a Blade Runner sequel or is this a what? Blade Runner sequel, gentlemen? <laughs> I, and here, here's the thing. This is so right, meta. Let's go a little bit. Did you guys want a Dune movie? Um, that's my question for you. Uh, the f- all right, really unpopular hot take. First Dune movie was boring as crap. That's not. That's not a hot take that's at all. Not a hot take at all. That's, that's, a lot of here's the thing. Yeah, but a lot of people, if you're, no, you really like sci-fi, so you must really like this movie. It's like that's, I think boring. those are people who have not watched it because Dune is such a beloved. We're talking about the David Lynch Dune, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh yeah, I forgot there was a made for TV. Yeah, uh, there's a miniseries too. Uh, Dude, which is actually a less boring sci-fi book, but I don't know anyone that's like, "Dude, that movie so good." It's I watched it as a kid at the height of my like intro to sci-fi and I was like, "What? It's the like hell if, is this guy from Twin Peaks doing?" It's like if a new hope never left Tatooine. They, I mean, and never had Jedi. The team <laughs> the, the team making this Dune movie is is insane. It's the guy. Yes. It's the guy who wrote Forrest Gump and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and Extremely Loud so and Incredibly Close and Munich and all these like heavy hitter movies being directed by the guy who directed Arrival. Like by all rights, this thing should be good, but I just think the source material for Dune, hot take, is kind of boring, and so so it's gonna be really hard to make a really good popular Dune movie. There's That's- a really good movie in there, but basically what you have to do is you're not doing Dune the book the movie, you're doing. Stories spirit, in Dune, Spirit of Dune. The, the I agree. And then there's going to be a section of the people there's who absolutely like, hate it because it won't be what they wanted. There's all this yeah. like, like I, no one wants to watch two hours of spice trading on a planet. Exactly. There's all this like trading and politics and stuff, and I'm just like, I just don't care. Like, like that's why it worked better as a miniseries. Yeah. Like, I mean, that it would be cool if they made like a Game of Thrones H style like Game HBO, of Dune HBO style adaptation. I'd probably be more excited about I this. I think HBO and Netflix can just fix everything like i don't want another batman movie i just want batman on hbo <laughs> I, it would just make agree. everything so much better. agree this isn't regular ass cable this is hbo all right so for kevin garber for eric ronnebeck i'm nathan Sano, and we will see you next week go hawks <laughs> <laughs>